All right, good morning. <clears throat> so go ahead while I'm, while I'm moving this contraption here and uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I thank you guys for the opportunity to come here and preach. Like JT said, we've, we've been able to come here a couple times. I guess I probably should turn this on. Uh, we've been able to come here a couple times to give updates. This is going to be the first time that I have been able to preach uh, since I left. So it, it's just really an honor to be able to come back here and do this. Um, I wanted to say that, um, I'm sorry, this thing's throwing me for a loop here. I got it out of my, out of my case and it's throwing me off for some reason. Okay, I think it's coming up here. Um, First Samuel chapter 3, if you guys can turn there. Also turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Most of your Bibles have a little, you know, built-in uh, page saver there. If you want to put that on Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in First Samuel chapter 3 and then we're going to work our way into the New Testament. So just kind of put Ephesians chapter 4 on hold. If you got something you can kind of save the place with and go to First Samuel chapter 3. So JT, he asked me to preach on something that would be kind of related to the idea of the church plant uh, that we were uh, coming up here to give a look. We're going to give a little uh, bit of an update, a brief update when we get done here today. And so I kind of thought about it a little bit and it really it came to me really quickly because the Lord's been on my mind uh, with this topic uh, for quite a while now. And it was the idea of calling because I went to Pleasant Hope, I, I answered a call that God put on my life. JT came here because he answered a call that, that God put on his life, uh, Christia, that put on her life. Um, and it just really kind of seemed to flow for me. And I'm going to tell you this, this sermon became very personal for me because I was writing it out and then I was like, hmm, I can't really say that if I'm not willing to think it or live it or apply it to my life. So it became very challenging for me, became very personal for me. So hopefully you guys benefit from that uh, because this, this sermon became very real for me as I was preparing it and very challenging to me because I have in some ways answered God's calling on my life in different ways, but God is still making demands, I would say, or calling me to different things, different people, different times, different seasons. And some of those I've been kind of holding with a closed fist. Some of those I've, I've been hard to find, hard to locate. And that was the challenging part for me. So today we're going to discuss the idea of calling in the Christian faith. JT and I, years ago, back when we, whenever Laura and I first started coming here, we moved to Pleasant Hope. We didn't really find a, a church home out there. We came to North Springfield after JT and I met at a, at a pastor's conference. And I remember we were sitting at that McAllister's right up there. We were having a, a conversation and he was kind of trying to get me to know me a little bit better. Uh, my theology, my beliefs, all those kind of things, talking about like having leadership conversations. And he asked me about... Um, well, we were just talking about ministry. I don't know that he specifically asked me about calling. That was several years ago, but, but it came up. And I remember telling him at the time, I really think that at some point I'm going to be called to ministry out in Pleasant Hope, but I don't know when that's going to be. It could be five years from now. It could be 10 years from now. It turned out it was about five. So my first guess was correct. Um, I said, but I think at some point that's going to happen. But at the same time, I knew without a doubt that God had called me here to Freshwater. And I know, looking back on it, why. I didn't really know then because I wasn't smart enough or mature enough to understand it then. But looking back on it, then I could understand what he was doing in this season when I answered that calling to, to come here. But we Christians, we have a way of describing our ministries as our calling. 
right? Why do we do that? What do you think? Why do we describe our ministries as our calling? Is it just habit? Is that church talk? We pick it up. I feel called to this. I feel called to that. Does it actually mean something or is it just habit? It's just something that we say. How many of you think that calling for a Christian is something that you do? And this is a safe question. So I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands. I don't normally do that. How many of you think that calling is something that you do? Yes or no? Anybody? Nobody? Man, I thought I'd get some people. How many of you think it's something that God does? Got some more. Got a few brave people, right? I mean, I think that they're kind of both true. You could say it was a trick question. I wasn't really trying to trick you. I think they're both true, but I think that calling is something that God does long before it becomes something that you or I do. Calling is something that God does long before it becomes something that you or I do. So let's set up our approach for our study of calling. Think about this. This has become important to me. It's, you know, I've begun to fashion my sermons around it a lot. I used to ask myself in the question, I used to ask myself the question when I was preparing sermons, what do they need to know? And then what am I asking them to do? How do they apply that? What do they need to know? What are they, what are they uh, doing, right? Because you've got to know what you're supposed to do. You've got to know what you're supposed to do. So knowing comes before doing. We have to know what we're supposed to do. So your mindset might be today when you say, okay, Jake is going to preach on calling Jacob officially. No, I'm just joking. I don't really care. Jake is going to preach on calling today. So you might be in this mindset, okay, Jake, teach me what I need to know about calling so that I can do it. Does that sound right? Teach me what I need to know about calling so I can do it. Let me ask you something, though. For the Christian, is that it? Knowing and doing. Is that it? Don't we do that all the time? Tell me what I need to know so I can do it. I'll take care of it. I'll get it done. Something I've come to realize, that knowing and doing model by itself, I would argue is man-made religion. Knowing and doing, I would argue, is man-made religion. It's a man-centered response to information. Don't we Christians say all the time, Christianity is unique? How is it unique? Well, it's in many ways. Don't get me started. I promised JT I wouldn't rabbit trail. One way I think it's unique, I believe, is in Christianity, it's not just knowing and doing, it's also being. It's who I am. And who I am leads us to how what we do flows from who we are. It's who you are because of the provision of and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not about knowing what you're supposed to do so that you can do it. It's about knowing who you are so that you can live that out, I believe. So our calling as Christians is not just something that God gives us and then we go do it. It's something that he calls us into and then asks us to walk by faith in this life to work it out through his power and his provision. So the correct order, I would argue, is knowing, being, then doing. 
so as we example the biblical word and idea of calling today, we're going to ask ourselves not two questions, but three. Not just what do I need to know and what do I need to do, but rather, what do I need to know? What does that teach me about who I am? And how does that produce or bear the fruit of what I do in this life? So we will ask ourselves three questions today in relation to calling. What do I need to know about the Bible, about what the Bible teaches on calling? What does that calling teach me about who I am? And how does that affect how I respond to that calling? Those are going to be our three questions. And along the way, as we answer those questions, we'll be making the main point of the sermon, which is this. The main point of the sermon is called out, called up, called in, and to. I'm going to say it again. Called out, called up, called in, and to. So question number one, what do I need to know about what the Bible teaches on calling? To answer our first question, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now this selection of verses shares with us the calling of the Old Testament prophet Samuel. I really like this Old Testament narrative. I don't like calling it a Bible story. It's a narrative. It's an Old Testament narrative. It really happened. It's narrating actual lives. I really like it because it gives us a very simple, very clear, very straightforward example of the biblical idea of God's calling. So before we read this selection together, let's talk two things real quick. Context and key word. I'm not going to go full inductive Bible study on you because we don't have time, but we need to talk about those two things really quickly. Context and key word before we read it. First, context, very briefly. Samuel was just a little boy when this occurred, when we're getting ready to read. He was just a small child, a little boy. And his story really begins with his mother, Hannah. She was a godly woman, and she was unable to bear children up to that point. She had never had children. Huge issue for a woman in that culture. It was to her shame that she had not been able to bear any children to her husband. So she was in the temple one time, and she prayed to God. She said, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will dedicate him back to you. And while she's praying, there's a priest in the temple named Eli. He's an, old, he's an old man at this time. And he's a priest. He hears her praying. They begin this conversation. And he knows what she prayed for. And he prophesies that God will answer her prayer, that she will have a child. So Eli, he is another. So Samuel is a, a, a person in this story, right? The young boy now. He's been he dedicated back to the temple. Eli is a character in this story. He's an old, he's an old aged priest. And part of the context of this to- the story as well, or the narrative, is that he has two adult sons who serve in the temple. Eli does. And they really do a lot of the main work, right? Because he's old at this point. He can't really even see well. His sons were wicked, and they were priests in the temple. That's a problem, right? God has something to say about that. They were wicked men. They extorted resources from the people, so they physically intimidated people as priests and took from them, okay? They also engaged in sexual debauchery with women in the temple. Yeah, I could see a couple of you are like, wow, yeah. God, has, God had a few things to say about this, right? And so that's the context of this, of this narrative. Samuel is a young boy, and, and God chooses to call to Samuel, call him into the office of prophet, to speak through him to the people. This is the first time that happens. 
Second thing, key word, called. Here it's a verb, it means to call, call out, recite, read, cry out, proclaim. Okay, that's the range of meaning. It doesn't mean that every time it's used. That's a range of meaning, okay? That's what that verb, it's how it's translated. There's a few different words in the Old Testament that are translated as call, calling, or called. They're all really related to communicating, I would say. They're speaking, like, I called to you. That's how it's phrased in the Bible sometimes. We would say, I said, right? But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, sometimes, sometimes like, such and so called out, okay? That's how it's actually used here. But it also uh, identifies a place or a person sometimes. Like this place is called that or that person was called such and so name. It's also used to summon someone in. So if you were to call someone into a room, right? If they were waiting and you were to call them in. It's also used of an invitation. Like you're invited into something. So similar to summons, but slightly different. Calling at its heart is communication, and good communication involves both speaking and listening. JT actually taught me that, challenged me on that, right? To not be waiting for my turn to talk. He used to say that. And then I remember he said that, and I would be like, I think I probably do that. Good communication involves both speaking and listening. So now we're ready for 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We have context, we have key word. As I said here, the, the term called means basically to say, to speak, okay? So I'm going to read through this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Samuel oriented himself to the voice. He didn't hide from it. He didn't wait. He didn't hope it went away because he was tired. He responded, he said, here I am. And Samuel got up and he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. I'm just going to say this. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of his word. Speak, for your servant hears. I wanted to spend a little more time in that narrative, but I don't think that it's necessary. Ended up having to save that time elsewhere anyways. But God came in and he pronounced judgment against Eli's sons. And a short time later, they died. And that was the Lord's calling to Samuel. And it launched a lifetime of service to the Lord and leading and speaking in his name. 
Samuel, Samuel, the Lord called out as at other times. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. My favorite thing about this selection of passages is that it demonstrates for us the simplicity of God's calling. God calls out Samuel's name for the purpose of bringing him into his will and his way. And what do we see is the correct response? Here I am. Can you think of anything scarier than to genuinely say that back to God when he puts a calling on your life? Here I am. That, that has stuck with me. Honestly, that here I am phrase has stuck with me for years. And it penetrated me even deeper as I was writing this sermon. Here I am. Speak, for your servant hears you. So question number one, what do we need to know about calling? Answer, God's calling is his invitation into his will and his way. God's calling is his invitation into his will and his way. So when God calls us, he's initiating communication with us. And when he speaks, what is the correct posture for us? Listening and responding. As I said, that can be a scary thought, right? There are many of you in here I don't know. Let me ask you this. Is God calling to you? Is he speaking to you about your sin? About how it has separated you from him? About how you do not, have not chosen to follow Christ, to place your faith in him? Do you know somehow in you that it's true that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again so that you could have new life through him? Is God calling to you? But you refuse to say, here I am. Christian, is God calling you to forgiveness? Just picking out a few things here. Is he calling you to forgiveness over a myriad of things that it could be to forgive someone else in your life? Are you refusing to say, here I am, Lord, speak for your servant hears? Is he calling you to someone in your life, some specific person, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your neighbor, Maybe it's someone in your life group in some specific way to come alongside that person. And are you saying, here I am, Lord. Speak for your servant listens. Now you know why this was challenging to me, right? Because I can't get up there and say that to you unless I ask myself that first. It's challenging. It can be hard. It's real. It's scary. That's real life, but we need to be real with each other. The correct posture is listen and respond. Let's move on to the second question. What does that calling teach me about who I am? Now it gets interesting. Now it really gets interesting. Let's bring our Old Testament narrative account of Samuel's calling with us into the New Testament and use it to help us accurately illustrate the idea behind the New Testament's use of the word. We find that the words call, calling, and called are used pretty much in the same way in the New Testament as they were in the Old. To speak or proclaim, 
to identify someone or something, to summon people, or to invite them. Literally, all of those ways it is used, translated, called, calling, or call. I'm going to give you some examples. Romans 1.1, Paul says he was called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That called there basically means invited. Paul was invited to be an apostle. God called him and extended that invitation to him. Romans 1.6, he's following up, still in his greeting, he addresses Christians. And he says, including you, speaking to Christians, including you who are called or invited to belong, he says, to Jesus Christ. You know that word servant in the Old Testament in Samuel? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's the nice way to put it. It Basically, the word actually means slave. Servant gives us a little bit of wiggle room. Sounds better, doesn't it? Easier. What he was actually saying is, speak, Lord, for your slave listens. Romans 1.6, addressing Christians, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here again, it means invited. There are numerous other instances of the word. We don't have time to really get into all of them by any means. But let me just ask you something. If God called, or you could say invited us to him, where were we called from? Where were we when he called? The Bible teaches us that we were naturally born into a domain or a kingdom of darkness. John chapter 3, Jesus himself said that flesh... From flesh comes flesh, I'm paraphrasing. From the spirit, those things that are born of the spirit are spirit. Those things that are born of the flesh are flesh. I.e., if you're born into this world and you are, the only thing that can produce is flesh. But if you want to be spiritually alive, you must be born again. You must originate from the spirit. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that there was a calling that accompanied that transfer. 1 Peter 2.9 says, He called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we were called out of darkness if we are in Christ today. And into his marvelous light. Now, when I was preparing this, what instantly came to mind was a situation that happened years and years ago with my youngest, or my youngest, my oldest son. He's actually 19 now, Ethan. When he was little, when he was about two years old, I was working second shift. So I'd get off work at three o'clock in the morning. He would be at my mom's house. She would put him to bed on a little mat in the floor, and I would gather him up. When I came in, I'd get there about 3.30 or 4, I'd gather him up and I would take him downstairs whenever we started doing this. And, and there was a big bed in one of the corner bedrooms downstairs. There were no windows in this bedroom, so it was perfect because it was pitch black. Why? Because I wanted to sleep as long as possible before he woke up. It was hard. I did that for two years. Hard, hard time. Okay, but we would go down there. Uh, he never had, never knew, right? He fell asleep in the, in the, on a pallet on grandma's floor, and he woke up, uh, you know, in pitch black darkness. Now, something about me, I'm an extremely light sleeper. This comes from my raising and different things. I am extremely an extremely light sleeper, even if I only slept a few hours. And I remember one of the first times that. He woke up down there, not knowing where he was, being in pitch black. Think about how scary that is for a two-year-old. Being in pitch black, 
I was over on my side, away from him because I'm super hot and I cannot like touch him at all or I just burn up, right? So I'm away from him. He wakes up. He doesn't, can't see me, doesn't hear me, can't feel me. And he immediately, I can, I just, I hear him the second that he wakes up because his breathing gets really fast and he sits straight up in bed. And before he can say anything, I said, Ethan. And he stopped. He was okay. Just like that. So that's what come to mind whenever I was thinking about this, about being called out of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his glorious son. So there is our first called. If we are in Christ, we have been called out. We've been called out of darkness. We've been called out of the world. Notice, I didn't say away from the world. I said out from the world. There's a distinction here that is made. We are called from one and to, so that we can originate from the other. But we're not called away from the world. Remember with Jesus and his high priestly prayer, John 17, what did he say? I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Why? Because the world needs the message. The world needs the Savior. The world needs the light. Who is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. So there's a distinction, there's a transfer of ownership here in being called out. We were slaves of sin, now we have become slaves of righteousness, Romans 6, 15 through 18. So what's next after that? After we are called out, we learn that leads to being called up, right? Called out, called up, called in and to. After we are called out, we learn that that leads to being called up. In Romans 1, 6, he said he called us to belong to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 6, an important part of that belonging is that it says that he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. He saved us so that we might be called, according to 1 John 3, 1, and here called means identified. Saved us so we might be called or identified as God's children. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he's teaching us in the context here about how to, the need is to keep our bodies and our actions holy. And he gives us the reason for needing to do this. He says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He says, the Lord is in you. Keep your bodies, keep your actions holy. Reflect what's true about you. So we have a real part of us, albeit it's an intangible part of us. We struggle with it. Knowing what it is, we have this real part of us, our spirit. The Bible says that we have. It's, it's us. And that is joined to the Lord, one spirit. It's a mystery. There are people that, that take this to unhealthy places. I don't know how it works. It doesn't mean there's anything special about us. It doesn't mean we get to do or say anything special. It just means that the Lord has cleansed us and he resides in us. And I don't, I wouldn't pretend, 
It's one of the mysteries of the gospel. I wouldn't pretend to be able to work out for you everything that that means accurately. But our spirit and God's spirit are like this. That's what that passage says. There's a temple. Think about being in the Old Testament. Going to the temple. We, you wouldn't even be able to go in the Holy of Holies, right? But you know it's there. The closer you get to it, you get closer and closer to what? The very presence of God. If you're in Christ, what is that place? It's you. So we find ourselves in a place where we have transferred masters, right? We were slaves of sin, now we're slaves of righteousness. We transferred kingdoms from the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, seated in the heavenlies in Christ, and we transferred families, right, from this world and its little g, God, Satan, to the capital G-O-D, God of the universe. Why? Because God has called us out. We have responded by faith in his work and power and he has called us up to him in a very real and tangible way that I would argue most of us don't truly know a lot about. Myself included, I struggle with it myself. So let's go to Ephesians chapter four, one through six, where I had you save that place earlier. I wanna read this, this passage here. Keep in mind the context leading up to this. We preached through Ephesians one time a long, long time ago. And if you remember from that, basically you're going to cut Ephesians in half. Three chapters of doctrine and truth teaching and theology and three chapters of practical application. Paul leads with the doctrine, the truth, because you got to get this right before you know how to walk. Watch when he says it like this, sit, walk, stand. You have to learn how to be seated to know what your position is in Christ so that you can then walk from that position and then have the power and the strength to stand against the adversary. That's how he divides Ephesians. So after three chapters of truth teaching, three chapters of doctrine and the work of Christ on our behalf, Paul says this, describing this calling and this union that we have with Christ. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Think about that. The calling to which you have been called. He says, walk worthy of that calling. We didn't have anything to do with that calling, did we? God's the one that called. But he says, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. God's the one that called. God's the one that provided. He says, walk worthy of that. God did everything. Does that sound like a challenging task to you? Walk worthy of that calling? Man, that's tough. He says, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Don't let that last part, just don't just gloss over that. Who is over all and through all and in all. Do you think that you can walk worthy of that calling if Christ is in you? 
It's the only chance you got. It's the only chance I got. We try to skip that step. We try to go from knowing to doing. We skip out on Christ. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How do we receive Christ Jesus? We received. So walk in him in a similar way. That would seem to suggest there's more receiving to be done, right? Of power as we walk out this life. That he has put in us everything that we need to work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what God has put in. When we just try to skip to working it out, where does that leave us? Falling short. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One hope that belongs to your call. What is that one hope? Paul tells us in Colossians 1.27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does calling teach me about who I am? Church, let me ask you this question. Who are you? Who are you? Think about it, seriously. Who are you? Have you transferred masters? Are you a son of God? Are you his daughter? Do you belong to the darkness or do you dwell in light? Is Christ in you? Do we know what the term church means? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Called out from. We say it like this at our church. I'm big on kind of training and go over over things repetitively. We say the church is God's people called out together. Simple. It's not a building. We could do this anywhere. The church is us. God's people whom he resides in together called out for his purpose So let's recap. Knowing, being, doing. Question number one. What do I need to know about the Bible's teaching on calling? God's calling is his invitation into his will and his way. Question number two. What does that calling teach me about who I am? Answer. I am his child and his spirit resides within me. With spirit comes sonship. With sonship comes position, privileges, power, and purpose. 2 Timothy 1.7, he's given us what? A spirit of, you guys know what it is? Power, love, and discipline. Power, love, and discipline. Three things would be pretty handy, right? For the Christian faith. Power, love, and discipline. We like to act like discipline's all about me. Paul says, hey, bodily discipline is of some profit. And it is. Bodily discipline is a profit. But if you look to bodily discipline for spiritual growth, it ain't going to happen. The Spirit will make you disciplined. He will give you power. You need help loving. You need the ability to love. The Spirit in you loves. Colossians 1.29 He says this, 
I toil with all of his energy that mightily works within me. Does that characterize our Christian walk? The mighty energy of God inside us? Maybe it's because we're skipping being and we're going straight from knowing to doing. We do need to be informed of the truth, right? Paul leads with doctrine, but that doctrine is teaching us about who we are. Before he ever gets to, what are we supposed to do? I toil with all his energy that mightily works within me. Not I toil with all my own energy. Romans 6, 17, we who were once slaves to sin, to sin have become obedient because we discipline ourselves and get super serious about it. Is that what it says? Anybody that ring a bell with anybody? We who were once slaves to sin have become obedient because we discipline ourselves and get super serious. Sit our face. No, what it says is we who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. Why? Because he took out our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. He gave us a living heart. Who are you? Not only does he give us all of that power, privilege, position, purpose as his children, Romans 12 and other passages I won't go into for the sake of time tell us that he has gifted us for the work of ministry. Think about all that you've been given and then he gives you the gifts to do the work. Specific gifts to do the work of the ministry. Kind of sounds like he's got it covered. Right? We have responsibility in this. We are meant to walk this out. We are meant to toil. Paul says, I toil, right? I work. I apply myself. To what though? With what? Do I start with me? No. I don't start with me. I start with Christ. I start with what he teaches me about who I am. The problem is not that we haven't been provided for church. It's that we tend to think I tend to think far too much of myself and far too little of Christ in me. We want to know, we want to do before we're willing to be. So, question number three then, how does God's calling affect how I respond to that calling? So when God calls, do we say, here I am, Lord, Here I am. Speak for your servant listens. Okay? Got it. I'll be back. Is that that what we do? How does God's calling affect how I respond to that calling? It affects it when we recognize that God's calling us out of this world and up to him and with him is the actual starting point to real fruit bearing as we walk in and toward this world. I'm going to say that again. It starts when we recognize that God's calling us out of this world and up to him and with him is the actual starting point to real fruit bearing as we walk in and toward this world. Abide in me and I in you, he says, right? Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Doesn't leave a lot of room, does it? What then do we need to do, church? That was the answer to number three then, right? We're speeding up as we go. The answer to number three. The question, how does God's calling affect how I respond to that calling? The answer, recognizing that God's calling us out of this world and up to him and with him is the actual starting point to real fruit bearing as we walk in and toward this world. One of my favorite passages, we actually just preached through Ephesians not too long ago. One of my favorite passages out of it before we get to response is this. Ephesians 2, verse 10. I'll just read it real quick. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. When you look up that word, it actually has to do with like artwork or the idea of of a sculpture or sculpting or painting. It's like it was a word that was used to describe the work of these artistic masters in their day. Paul says, for we, and I would say this, for you are his workmanship. You're his custom work created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He's even got that part already prepared. Even the works before you are prepared that we should walk in them. What then do we need to do, church? When God calls, what do we do? Simple. And sometimes the simplest things are the most profound things, right? Sometimes the simplest things can be the hardest things. But church, it's not complicated. We respond. We respond. We just say it. Here I am. Here I am. There aren't any other qualifiers in there, right? Did God say to Samuel, okay, not yet. I'll come back, work on this. Take care of that. Do a few push-ups, man, you're scrawny. Like, let's, let's get, I'll be back. No. God calls. What did Samuel need to do? What is the first and most important thing that he did? I'm right here. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears you. If you don't know Christ today, but you know he's calling you, just say it. Say, here I am. No matter where you are, whether you're listening over the internet, whether you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, say, here I am. And you know what? There aren't really any rules. You can do it right now. You can step forward. There are people here that will come off to the side and pray with you and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks and guess what? Nobody's going to think that's a bad thing. Anyways, just stand up and say, here I am. Or walk quietly to the front and ask JT or Brandon to pray with you. Or Christy or Cassie. You won't be breaking any church rules. It'll be fine. Here I am. That's the correct response. To the church, God's people called out together, sitting in this room. He has called you out of darkness. 
He has called you up with him into his glorious kingdom of light. You are his unique masterpiece. That means he is calling you in and to this world with his gospel message. There's no room for anything else. That is your mission. And it belongs to everyone. This is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator religion. We're all called to make disciples and to teach them to obey. Every single one of us. God calls his church, I would argue, to people on his mission, with his message, for his glory. An example would be Acts 16.10. Paul says God called them to preach the gospel to them, to preach the gospel to those who were in Macedonia. God called them to that place, to those people, for his own purposes, for his own ways, to invite, to have Paul and the people who were with him invite the people of Macedonia into God's will and God's way. He calls us to people. God has called JT. He has called this church to the people of Springfield. More specifically to the people of North Springfield. Most specifically to the people of Northwest Springfield in the Tom Watkins neighborhood. Let me ask you, are you here because you like listening to JT preach? Because he's a good preacher. He is. Do you enjoy the worship? Because Freshwater has excellent and gifted worship leaders. We've always been blessed that way. We just have. Do you like the kids' ministry? I know. Your friends. Some of your best friends are here. And you just love spending time with them. Those are not bad things, by the way. They're all really great things. But I would like to to share a suggestion with you from a brother on the outside that's kind of on the inside through relationship who loves you. You need to be here for the same reason JT is here. For the same reason the leadership is here. For the same reason that I'm in Pleasant Hope. You need to be here because you are called to the people just like they are. Because you share fellowship with them. And fellowship is not just coffee and bagels and food and good conversation. Fellowship actually biblically is unity, shared unity toward a common purpose in its most basic sense. It's shared unity toward a common purpose, in our case, of knowing God and making him known for the purpose of glorifying God and advancing the gospel in this place among these people as you are called to. What is left? Respond. Church, respond. I believe everyone in this room is experiencing a calling of some sort. For some, it may be a calling of faith in Christ. For some, it may be a calling to minister to a loved one, to a friend, to a neighbor, someone in your life group, to the neighbor of your life group. For some, it may be a calling to stop being a spectator and dive into the mission of Freshwater Church. Just say it. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. It's scary, I know, to no longer hide, to no longer avoid, to no longer act like we don't hear the call. But we do, don't we? Here I am, Lord. Speak, for your servant hears. Pray with me. Lord, we love you.
I thank you for the privilege of having the opportunity to speak your word, to teach it today, to preach it. I thank you for the work that your word has done in my heart today and leading up to this. I pray that your, your word is working in the hearts and the minds of the men and the women and the children in this room and those who hear my voice. I know that your word does not return void. It does what you set it out to accomplish, Lord. I pray that your word in this moment by your will would be accomplishing much. So I want to close with a prayer that Paul prayed from Scripture. A prayer for spiritual strength. It's interesting because Paul just spent several, the first two chapters in Ephesians teaching the people about the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And then in chapter 3, before he moves on to application, he does this in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. He prays a prayer asking God to make everything that they knew, everything that they'd been taught, all the knowledge that he had just shared, to make it real with them, to put it in their heart, to make it known to them. He asked for God to intercede and take it beyond head knowledge and implant that word inside their hearts. And so I'm going to close with that prayer today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he closes with this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.